Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquina on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. taken from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the Passover festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be the Lord. My Uncle Patty from Ireland used to kick my butt when I wouldn't do dishes around the house. He said, only Jesus of Nazareth took over the world by sitting on his arse. <laughs> and it's true. So for, first of all, um, on Palm Sunday, uh, when we set aside our church time to meet the Lord, right, to meet the King of Kings, um, first thing I want to do is give thanks to the Lord that we live in a place where we can say Jesus is the King of Kings. And we don't have any other jealous king coming after us, saying off with his head, saying, I don't have any other king over me. You better not say Jesus is my king. Um, because we should be humble and remember that that is still happening in places throughout the world, in one way or another, where if you proclaim that Jesus is the Lord, there are people who get upset about it, and they come to get you, right? And some people on our island come from places where they're still doing that and have escaped that, and many of us are descended from people who lived through that too. So first we say thank you, and then we just lift up our hearts in prayer that that kind of oppression ceases, whether it's the people who are, who are saying Jesus is Lord or just anyone who's trying to get, get in the way of people living their lives to the point that they're trying to hurt others, right? So we're going to pray for that first. And aside from that, Palm Sunday is the day that we dedicate entirely to remembering Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. A donkey, which seems so funny, right? Elsewhere in the Bible, it describes the Lord as galloping in on a horse, you know, with, with banners and, and, and fanfare, but 
He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and we're supposed to dedicate an entire day to that. What is, what is that all about? Now, this happened 2,000 years ago. And even though Israel already had a king named King Herod, the people started waving their palms, their, their royal palms, at Jesus and, and cried out to him, Hosanna! And Hosanna means save us. And they said, You are the king of Israel. You are the king of Israel. So it shouldn't surprise you that a man being hailed as king in a nation that already had a king was going to end up charged and executed for sedition within just a few days when he gets a greeting like that. But this man, Jesus, this king, I hope you all remember that he, he rode into this city unarmed, leading an army of unarmed people, of friends and followers, men and women who for three years previous, he'd taught the ways of God, the mysteries of the kingdom. He'd sent them out as angelic messengers without wallets, without sticks, without weapons, to go into the cities of Judea to proclaim that the kingdom of God was at hand, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of mercy, a kingdom of love, and they call it the kingdom of heaven. Right? The kingdom of God is at hand, and that's a promise. That's what they're saying. So that word that did spread like wildfire around the region and these, these messengers came back from, from giving out this message about the kingdom. And they said, people are on, are on fire for God and for this kingdom that we're all preaching. And Jesus said, yeah, I saw it. They're so on fire that Satan fell from heaven like lightning. They made this huge splash. And they made a huge impact in just three short years. And now in Jerusalem, these people who'd heard this message, they're all gathered in Jerusalem in the Passover. Um, in the capital for Passover. And just so you know, everyone, it was your duty to go make this pilgrimage at Passover. You had to go make sacrifices to the temple. Everyone was there. So everyone who'd heard this, this message of, of the kingdom, of the gospel, was there. And they all expected that this Jesus they've been hearing about was going to take his throne finally, and that he was probably going to lead a rebellion against King Herod. And, and even his Roman handlers, right? Uh, people were not happy under King Herod or Rome, and they weren't free. So when Jesus on the donkey and his, his crowd of followers marched on the capital, right? Think about the optics for a second. He marches on the capital, and he purifies the temple with a whip of cords. Does that seem peaceful? He drives out money changers and overturns tables. So all these people expecting this king to come, they're like, yep, there he is. He's doing it. This is the man we've heard about these past three years. This is the king we've been crying out for, and this is the king we've been promised. And I want to emphasize that he was promised. John, in this gospel, tells us that Jesus rode in on a donkey to fulfill a promise made by a prophet, and that prophet was Zechariah. And John quotes it saying, uh, Fear not, fear not, daughter of Zion. Your king is coming. 
sitting on a donkey's colt. There it is in John. But how dangerous it is to take a scripture out of context, right? Uh, Dare we read what follows in the original text that John's quoting from Zechariah? Lord knows how much more dangerous it is to to look at scripture in context, because it's going to go in our minds, right? But we have to because it's in the bulletin. So can we all go to the responsive reading? Number two, it's on page three. It's uh, Zechariah chapter nine, uh, verses nine through 12. I'll lead it if you guys don't mind. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a pole, the pole of a donkey. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be broken. Then he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant, I will release your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore to you double. That's Zechariah. That's what John was talking about. He said, Jesus coming in on a donkey fulfills that. But as you can see, there's a whole lot more going on. And these words that Zechariah spoke were for those people who saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, right? They're for us. The words are for us and they benefit us, but they were for them first, right? Because those were the words of promise by which they would recognize who was riding on that baby donkey and what he was riding it for. For all that other stuff that Zechariah talked about. Now we have to consider that all these words are fulfilled since... These words were for them, speaking of Jesus, which is ancient history to us. But in examining what it means to them, we're going to figure out what it really means to us and what Palm Sunday is all about and what its lesson is for us, right? Because what am I always preaching about every Sunday anyway? I'm always preaching about love and freedom and freedom and love, that that's always the moral of the story. And it's... it's, Two things that are actually one, but everyone needs them. Everyone wants them, everyone needs them. We love love so much that, you know, you can sing that song, um, like, Sometimes all I need is the air that I breathe and to love you. I mean, you need food and water too, right? But that's how much we value love. And, And of course we value freedom so much that We know that song, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm a free at last. How hard do the people who sang that have to fight for that freedom, right? So we value these things above all. Or, I want nothing you can sing that can't be sung. All you need is love. That's right, that's right. So... What is, what is this story going to tell us about the freedom and love that we crave, right? This 2,000-year-old story. And we're going to go even further back to Zechariah. Because that's, that's who, who foretold the story. So what we're going to learn first is that this kingdom, this, this kingdom of, of Jesus, you know, Jesus was king of Israel, right? 
First, we're going to learn that the kingdom is a kingdom of peace. So the first part of that Zechariah bit says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be broken. And then he will proclaim peace to the nations, and his dominion will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So what did they say to Jesus when he marched in? They said, Hosanna in the highest, king of... No? King of... Israel. Israel. Jesus is the king of Israel. That's what they said. Now, how was Israel first founded? One word, three letters, starts with W, ends in R. War. war. Israel was founded in war. Joshua went down. He was the successor of Moses. He went down, and with his army, he took Israel from the Canaanites by war. And how was Israel protected? War. War by armies and the sword. And most importantly, how was its territory, its dominion, extended? War. War. War War with the nations. War with the Gentiles. Always war. Chariots, horses, bows. And this prophecy says that the dominion of the king of Israel... His territory is going to extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. He just means it's going to be a universal kingdom. Well, surely all of that territory beyond that little strip of land in the Near East did not belong to Israel. So would it be taken by war? No, because it says this king of Israel will proclaim peace to the nations. And this king of Israel will not expand its borders by war, but by proclaiming peace. That's deep. By proclaiming peace. And this is what it means when the prophecy says the bow of war will be broken. This is the bow, Israel's bow of war. They weren't going to grow anymore with war. They are going to grow by this preaching of peace. And this is a parallel prophecy, by the way, to Isaiah's promise when he says, they'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Neither will they learn war anymore. The kingdom of Israel under King Jesus wouldn't rule, wouldn't guard, wouldn't expand by the force of war anymore, but by the promise of peace, not by a sword of steel, but a sword of truth, of preaching, by preaching peace and not waging war. The kingdom of Israel, this is what the prophecy is saying, it's about to be transformed under its new king, Jesus, from an earthly to a spiritual kingdom. So, the next thing we see in Zechariah is that this peace that he's preaching, it's a peace that's made in Christ, and we need to know that it's a done deal. You know, the deal's already been brokered. It says... As for you, because of the blood of my covenant, I will release your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Even today I will declare that I will restore to you double. So this peace, this blood of the covenant, it's a, it's a done deal. It was already a done deal by the time that St. Paul was writing in about 40 A.D. He tells us in Ephesians that Jesus himself is our peace. 
He's made the two groups, the two warring groups of, of Jews and Gentiles, right? Expanding borders, you're at war. He said he's made these two groups one. And he's destroyed the barrier. He's destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, of war. Abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees through the cross by which he extinguished their hostility through the cross. That's when Colossians tells us that Jesus blotted out the handwriting of commandments that was against us. This is Paul talking 2,000 years ago. The commandments that were against us, which were adverse toward us, and he took this handwriting away, nailing it to the cross. And he did this, this act of peace, made this peace deal, by dying, by dying for the forgiveness of sins according to these prophecies, enacting a new covenant, a new deal. And we all remember in the Last Supper, whenever we do this communion, he, he spells it out. He doesn't make this mysterious. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Peace is the forgiveness of sins. It's not holding any grudges anymore. And this is how Christ fulfilled the promise of Zechariah that because of the blood of my covenant, I will release the prisoners from the waterless pit. Does that ring a bell, the waterless pit? Do you remember a story that Jesus told about the rich man in Lazarus? He's burning in a fiery underworld after dying, and all he wants is just a little lick of water, a waterless pit. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about this, this world of the dead. He's going to release prisoners from this waterless pit. Well, guess what happened? Matthew 27, uh, Matthew 27, 52, I believe. Jesus is resurrected, and only Matthew records this. The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many other holy people who had died were raised to life too. All fulfilled. Right? Good news, but old news. Good news, but old news. This is our foundation that we build on. Old news, but many of the people who greeted Jesus on Palm Sunday they had no idea that all this was about to unfold in the next few days. They had no clue. A lot of them. They had no idea what was about to be fulfilled, but they soon found out when they saw it with their own eyes. That's what we're reading about. We're reading their testimony of what they saw. This is what the church is built on, not just the 12 apostles who saw Jesus raised, but the 500 others who saw him in, in the city of Jerusalem. So when we're reading their testimony two years later, the big million-dollar question is, what does this mean for us, right? It says, return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Prisoners of hope. I think that's so beautiful. Because what are we? But prisoners of hope returning here week after week. Prisoners of our hope that we're celebrating here, right? No one's telling us to, but our hope holds us captive to keep doing this, to keep having faith. And week after week, I'm preaching Christ, and I keep saying over and over again that we have freedom. We have this glorious freedom of the children of God, right? But we're prisoners too. Because this freedom 
is given to us because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we're free by this, but God's love compels us, imprisons us to live lives worthy of that love. It's a pay-it-forward model. Think about it that way. He gives us hope, so we got to give it too, right? And he gives us love, so why wouldn't we give it too? He gives us freedom, so we got to give it too. And all this means, basically, that we just sometimes got to put ourselves aside for others who don't have hope and who don't have love and who don't have freedom so that they may have hope, they may have love, and they may have freedom. And that's something that the Spirit inspires in every one of our hearts individually, how we're going to do that with the people in our lives. Return to your stronghold, O prisoner of hope. Our stronghold. Who is our stronghold? Jesus. Jesus. And who does Jesus show us? God. God. And, and what is our stronghold but prayer and worship? That's when we pray by ourselves in God's presence, right? Or when we lift, lift up his name together here in community on Sundays. And we find other ways to do it throughout the week. There's so many ways to do it. Someone asked me, I feel a little far away from God. What do I do when this happens? I said, I don't know. Probably nothing. Because you might feel far away, but he's not. There are just different ways that we have to remind ourselves of the facts. It's not just a mystical truth. It's a fact borne witness to by all these people 2,000 years ago. God loves us. This is why Jesus died. And God raised him to make sure that we didn't miss the point. Right? Didn't want us guessing. It's a fact that we just have to remind ourselves. We don't have to inquire too deeply anymore. The truth is revealed as a fact. I also heard it put that Jesus, you know, was the fruit of life. Because when we take him, right, he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and you'll have life. So I heard it put once by an old saint. Jesus was the fruit of the tree of life, but he became for us a fruit of the tree of knowledge so that we may have it all, you know, because we're not supposed to reach that tree of life, but he became a fruit of the tree of knowledge to which we do have access. He became some, something we can know. We can experience God through knowing the story of Jesus. So as my wife and I watch our daughter grow, we have all these conversations about how, we're, how we want to raise her and what sort of values we want to instill in her and what sort of worldly values that we think we kind of need to help prepare her to, to discern her way through and, and kind of see through. And this is what we were talking about earlier. I keep coming back to this idea that the only truth we can found ourselves on is God is revealed in Christ. And I, I want to share this lesson with you that we're learning as a family. Because I, I struggle to know to know what is right and good if I don't know what God's purpose for us is, for myself, for my wife, and for our daughter, right? But I do believe, I do believe that God has fully revealed himself and his purpose for us in Christ, leaving it all at Calvary, 
revealing it all there. I don't know what's right and good. I can't really figure it out totally knowing it. But I believe in what's been revealed. That it, his, his purpose for me and for my wife and for our daughter, and this, this applies to everyone, to you, to the church, to the human community. I mean, he's lovingly made all of us and all of this with his own hands. His purpose is clear when you look at the cross. It's just almost too simple. When you look at the cross, you understand what great love that is and what great love compels us to do in response. Who Christ's love compels us to be and how to see ourselves and the world around us bathed in that love. We don't have to live in a world of darkness and of confusion and we don't have to wage war on behalf of the truth. We can live in this new Israel, this new Jerusalem that's conquered and protected and grown not by waging war but by preaching peace. And that's how we live for this king who died for us, right? So this is what Palm Sunday is about. We greet this king to remind ourselves that we're in this kingdom. And we say Hosanna. Hosanna means save us. Save us. And we should say save us. Because in case you haven't noticed, there's plenty of challenges that life sends us on the day-to-day. And it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, you're not so exempt from these challenges that, that they don't deserve a hearty hosanna. Right? We might live in a place where we won't be beheaded for saying that Jesus is king of kings, but somewhere in all of our hearts is the potential for some good old-fashioned evil. We're all capable of it, whether we mean it or not. Even, even good intentions pave the road to hell, right? If you lose your footing in God, in the way of God, if you start to build on any other foundation other than Christ, Christ, I'm talking of Christ in the spiritual way, if you build on these worldly values, some of which harm and don't help, you bet you could end up blindly just building on them and, and trusting your soul and the souls of the, your loved ones around you. <clears throat> Not necessarily to evil, but to vanity. To vanity, right? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. This is what I think about all the time. Like We've read all the history books, and I think we all know, raise your hand if you agree, we repeat the same mistakes over and over again. Right? We repeat the same mistakes over and over again. And by straying from the way, and by building on another foundation than Christ, Christians are always just as guilty of this. And sometimes we're the best at it. But the smell test, the smell test, is if it smells like freedom and if it smells like love, that's the aroma of Christ, Right? And if it doesn't, if it smells like war, and if it smells like hate, and if it smells like resentment, if it smells like slavery, if it smells like deceit, the aroma of Christ it ain't, right? So, each of us is, in, is, uh, is entrusted uh, with a palm, a palm frond, from the day of our birth. And it's the palm of our heart and our soul. And so let's make sure we do due diligence to discern what and whom we're waving our palms for. Amen? Amen. We want to make sure we do that. And may we indeed say, 
Hosanna, save us, because our hearts are humble, and we know that there is much to be saved from, and I hope that we all know there's such a glory of riches to be saved for in Christ. And he's mighty to save on both of those accounts, and he's got you if you put your trust in him. And that's why we're here, to remind ourselves that that is real, that we're not nuts. This is real. We trust God. We trust God. Now, if you'll please join me with your palms. If y'all stand for a second, stand up. And we're going to wave, wave our palms for the Lord, right? When I say Hosanna, you say Hosanna. 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 Let's not wave our palms for the one riding on chariots that God has promised to take away. Let's wave our palms for the one riding on the humble donkey. Hosanna. 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 Let's, let's not wave our palms for the one bending the bow of war that God promised to break. Let's wave our palms for the one preaching peace. Hosanna. 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 Let's wave our palms for the one who sets us free from being prisoners in the waterless pit, that we may be prisoners of hope. Hosanna. 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 Let's wave our palms for he who is our stronghold, who declares to us that he will restore to us double. Hosanna. 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 And to God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray with confidence, Hosanna, save us. And we bless him who saves us with the words, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit WorkmanSong.com.